Welcome back to the Heal Your Hormones podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Danielle. And today I want to dive into the connection between histamine intolerance and your hormones. And this is a topic that was requested by a listener a few months ago. So I apologize for taking a little bit of time on getting this out. Um, I do think this is good timing though, especially as we start to head into spring, we're going to be having more seasonal allergies popping up. We'll talk more about how histamine interacts or kind of plays a role with our allergies. But I do think histamine intolerance is a very overlooked piece of healing hormones, and it's not going to apply to everyone, but it can apply to some. So in this episode, I want to cover what is histamine, what is histamine intolerance, and what are signs of histamine intolerance, how histamine and our hormones interact with each other, and then what you can do if you suspect that you may have histamine intolerance that is contributing to some hormonal symptoms, what you can do to start healing. So starting off, histamine is a compound that is produced by immune cells, including mast cells, which are primarily found in our connective tissues and our blood vessels throughout the entire body. And histamine is most commonly associated with allergic reactions, but it has other roles as well. So histamine's primary function is going to be its involvement in the immune system and in the inflammatory response. So essentially what happens is when our body encounters a potential threat, so maybe that's an allergen like seasonal allergies or pet dander, or maybe it's a pathogen like bacteria or viruses, mast cells, which are part of the immune system, are going to release histamine as part of the body's defense mechanism. Histamine acts on nearby blood vessels and it will dilate them and cause them to become more permeable, meaning things are able to travel through the blood vessel walls. And this is important because this allows white blood cells, which are essentially, I like to think of them as like the soldiers of our immune system, the fighters. It allows those white blood cells to travel quickly to the site of infection, again, bacteria or virus or site of injury if you wound yourself more efficiently, and it leads to destruction of that pathogen, destruction of that bacteria or virus quicker, and it helps to initiate the healing process. So while histamine intolerance can be problematic, and we'll get into that, histamine itself is a very important piece of our immune system, and we need it. So the goal is not to get rid of histamine, it's just to have everything balanced. Now, in addition to its role in the immune system, histamine also influences other bodily functions, and it can actually interact with hormone-producing glands like the adrenal glands, which are our stress glands, the thyroid gland, and the ovaries, and it can impact the production and regulation of hormones. So for example, histamine has been shown to stimulate the release of cortisol from the adrenal glands which plays a crucial role in the body's stress response. Cortisol also plays a role with inflammation. Histamine can also impact the production and release of thyroid hormones, which are going to play a major role in metabolism and energy production. Histamine imbalance can also disrupt the balance of neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin. So these are our brain chemicals that really control our mood. And if we have histamine balance that is impacting our neurotransmitters, it can lead to symptoms like mood swings, insomnia, and even changes in libido. 
So I want to kind of dive into what does it mean to be histamine intolerant? Because again, this is not applied to everyone. It is not applied to everyone with hormone imbalance, but it can apply to some. Histamine intolerance is a condition characterized by the body's inability to efficiently break down histamine. And this leads to higher levels of histamine in the body. So again, making histamine is a completely normal and it's a really a good part of our immune system. But if we're not able to then break down that histamine when we no longer need it and we have these higher levels of histamine in the blood, that's when things become problematic. Now, unlike histamine allergies, which really involve the immune response triggered by histamine, Histamine intolerance does not involve the immune system. Instead, it is primarily a result of the body's inability to break down histamine. So it's not an immune system issue. It's really more of a metabolism issue. So there are a few factors that can contribute to histamine intolerance, and genetics is a big one. So we can see variations in genes that normally help to break down histamine. So specifically, there is an enzyme called the DAO enzyme, and this is responsible for breaking down histamine in the gut. Lower DAO activity is going to lead to decreased histamine breakdown and therefore higher histamine levels in the blood. So this is a really common one, DAO variations. We can also see DAO enzyme deficiencies. So we can see alterations in the DAO enzyme. We can also see deficiencies of the DAO enzyme. And again, DAO is that primary enzyme and it's produced in the cells lining the gastrointestinal tract. So lining our intestines and it helps to metabolize histamine from ingested foods. And we're going to talk later in this episode about what foods tend to be higher in histamine. However, there are other factors that play a role, including gut inflammation and gastrointestinal disorders. These things can impair DAO production or activity in the gut. So maybe you don't have a deficiency in DAO enzymes. Maybe you have some sort of imbalance in the gut that is preventing DAO from doing its job. And this, of course, is going to lead to decreased histamine metabolism and increased histamine in the blood. The last factor along with genetics and deficiencies to that DAO enzyme are medications. And medications can interfere with histamine metabolism and worsen histamine intolerance. So these medications include antihistamines, which are actually going to block histamine receptors and can disrupt the body's ability to regulate histamine levels. Some some people may not respond well to antihistamines, especially if they have histamine intolerance. Other medications include NSAIDs and antibiotics, um, especially because these things can impair gut health, which again, poor gut health can lead to improper DAO function. Now, because histamine interacts with hormone-producing glands, again, like the ovaries and the thyroid, an imbalance in histamine levels can lead to an imbalance of hormones. And this can impact our menstrual cycle. It can lead to irregular periods, worse menstrual cramps, and other hormonal symptoms. Histamine intolerance can impact fertility because it can interfere with production of estrogen and progesterone, which are really two key hormones for getting pregnant and staying pregnant. 
It can interfere with ovulation and it can in, even interfere with implantation, which is when that embryo attaches to the wall of the uterus. So really important that if you are somebody who has been struggling for a long time with hormonal symptoms, we're about to get into the signs of histamine intolerance. If these things are starting to ring a bell for you, really important that you are working with a naturopathic or a functional doctor that can help you address this. I don't think, I really don't ever hear um, conventional doctors addressing histamine intolerance. You might get lucky and have a doctor that is familiar with it. But if you bring this to your conventional doctor, I think more likely than not, they'll, they'll look at you like you have five heads and, and not really know what, what steps to take in order to help you address the histamine intolerance or how to help you identify if you even have histamine intolerance. All right. So diving into the different sides of histamine intolerance, and you know, we already touched on it a little bit. Gut health is going to be a major player in histamine intolerance and therefore gut symptoms are going to be really common. So bloating is a common one we see, and this is because histamine can stimulate the release of stomach acid and increase gut motility, which can lead to bloating and discomfort. So if we have higher histamine levels in the blood, it can cause kind of a quicker movement through the gut and maybe the food isn't getting fully digested as it's moving through. Also really common to see diarrhea or loose stools, and this is because histamine can disrupt the balance of gut bacteria and it can increase intestinal permeability, meaning things can leak through the intestine walls and this can lead to diarrhea. We can also see abdominal pain. So we can see histamine-induced inflammation in the gut, which can cause a lot of abdominal pain and cramping. Next is skin reactions. So I've said it on the podcast before, but I like to think of the human like a donut. And from our mouth to our anus, that is the middle of the donut. And our skin is the outside of the donut. So if we have imbalances going on in the gut, we are also likely to see imbalances going on in the skin. And that's why I'm not a fan if you have any sort of skin reaction going on. I'm not a fan of putting topical steroids on it because it's really just driving that infection deeper into the body or whatever sort of imbalance is trying to get out of the body and trying to express itself. The steroid is just going to suppress it. And we really need to think of like, what is our skin trying to tell us from the inside out? So common skin reactions, we see hives being one of them. So this is raised itchy welts on the skin caused by histamine-induced vasodilation, so dilation in the skin vessels. We can see itching. So histamine, super common to see itching, which if you think of when you get seasonal allergies, we can see this a lot with like itchy, runny eyes. And we can also see eczema. So like that dry, flaky, red skin, it can become flared up with histamine intolerance. Chronic headaches, super common because histamine is going to, again, cause blood vessels to dilate. And when blood vessels dilate in the brain, this can trigger inflammation. It can lead to headaches or migraines. So oftentimes with histamine-related headaches, we will see throbbing, painful headaches, sensitivity to light and sound, and nausea, which are a lot of those key migraine characteristics. And then lastly is fatigue. So histamine intolerance can contribute to chronic fatigue due to its effects on those neurotransmitters and hormones. And fatigue may be accompanied by feelings of weakness or difficulty concentrating and brain fog. So the primary four that we're looking for are digestive symptoms, skin reactions, headaches, and fatigue. 
So I want to touch a little bit on the histamine estrogen connection, because this is really where I start to explore histamine intolerance with my patients is when we're seeing a lot of estrogen imbalance, we're seeing a lot of symptoms related to estrogen and kind of the foundational changes aren't really leading to as much change as we would initially think. So estrogen has been shown to stimulate the release of histamine from immune cells, which means if you have higher estrogen levels, this can lead to an increased level of histamine as well. Estrogen can also make cells more sensitive to histamine's effects, essentially increasing histamine sensitivity or histamine intolerance. Estrogen can also affect the enzyme DAO, which is involved with histamine metabolism. So especially because estrogen levels fluctuate throughout our cycle, we can expect to see sensitivity to histamine fluctuate as well. So especially when estrogen levels start to peak around ovulation, that may be when we start to see more of those histamine symptoms. So that is how estrogen influences histamine. Histamine can also influence estrogen because histamine, again, can influence how estrogen is produced. It can also impact the enzymes involved with estrogen breakdown, and it can interact with estrogen receptors on cells. So it's kind of this cycle where if you have high estrogen, it can increase histamine, and then histamine can influence estrogen levels, and you're in this constant like a hamster wheel situation. So high estrogen levels during ovulation, again, can lead to increased histamine release and sensitivity. And so we can see exacerbated histamine intolerance symptoms during this time, like headaches, bloating, and skin reactions. And I'll hear this sometimes from my patients of, you know, my symptoms get worse around ovulation. That is usually a good indicator that whatever is driving those symptoms is related to higher estrogen levels and potentially higher histamine levels as well. So diving in next to how we can start to improve histamine intolerance. And this might sound a little overwhelming because we're going to talk about a lot of different foods to focus on, to eliminate, potential supplements to think about. And when it comes to getting your histamine under control, especially because it does involve eliminating a good amount of foods, I really strongly suggest working with a nutritionist, a dietitian, a naturopathic doctor, so they can make sure you're still getting in the key nutrients, even as you navigate this low histamine diet. And for a lot of women that I work with, when we do go down this histamine route, Avoiding these foods is not a forever thing. Usually it means eliminating the high histamine foods for six, eight, 12 weeks while we work on healing their gut. Because again, gut health plays a major role with histamine intolerance. And then usually we can start to reintroduce some of these high histamine foods and they actually are able to tolerate them. So let's talk about what is a low histamine diet. So foods that we want to focus on are going to be fresh foods. So fresh meats, poultry, fish, eggs, most fruits, except for citrus fruits, because citrus will be higher in histamine. Most vegetables, except for tomatoes, spinach, and eggplant. And then any sort of gluten-free grain or dairy alternatives. So when we're thinking of gluten-free grains, we're thinking of anything made from rice, quinoa, almond flour, and then dairy alternatives like almond milk or cashew milk. So the fresher the food, the better. 
if we're eating leftovers, histamine levels can actually increase the longer leftovers sit in the fridge. So it doesn't mean you can't ever eat leftovers, but maybe not eating leftovers that are two days old. Maybe, you know, try and eat those leftovers within a 24-hour window. So those are the foods we want to focus on. Now, foods we want to avoid or at least reduce are going to be high histamine foods and beverages. And these are going to include things like aged cheeses, cured meats, fermented foods like sauerkraut and kimchi, which I know can be surprising to hear because when we think of, you know, healing the gut and improving gut health, usually our first go-to are foods like those, but also a great, you know, example of why healing gut health is not a one-size-fits-all approach. We want to avoid vinegar. Alcohol is a big one, especially wine and beer. And then certain fruits, like I mentioned, citrus fruits, strawberries can also be high in histamine. And then those vegetables like tomatoes, spinach, and eggplant. Um, and then any processed foods containing additives and preservatives. So again, that is quite an extensive list. And especially if any of those foods are regulars in your diet, trying to cut those out while still getting in enough calories and getting in enough nutrition can be challenging. So that's why I always recommend working with somebody to help navigate through this. Now, there are some foods that, although they don't necessarily contain a lot of histamines, they may release histamines in the body. And those are going to be foods like bananas, avocados, and some nuts. So that is also a situation where it's very dependent on the person, depending on how severe their sensitivity to histamine is and what other foods they're getting in their diet. Those may or may not be foods to look at especially if you're somebody who's like, oh yeah, I have avocado, you know, for breakfast and lunch every single day of the week, then it's like, okay, well maybe we're cutting that down to having it for breakfast three times a week instead of eating it, you know, seven days a week, twice a day. So that is following a low histamine diet. Now it can also be really helpful to keep a food diary and to track your symptoms. And this is something I will occasionally have my clients do um, on the patient portal that we use. There's actually a food journal component. And I don't love having my clients track their food, you know, every day because I don't think that's a mentally healthy space to be in. But I will have them track if, say, we're trying to determine if they're getting enough protein or I will have them track if they are having symptoms like digestive symptoms or skin reactions, and we're trying to identify what foods they're sensitive to. The food journal on the patient portal is actually amazing because it allows you to either take a photo of your food or enter your food in, and then it gives you the option to select how you're feeling. Like, are you having digestive symptoms? How is your energy levels? Are you having a headache? So it makes the tracking process really easy. But tracking your food intake and then when you're experiencing symptoms, you can start to look back and see a pattern, especially if your reaction doesn't come immediately after you eat the food, which typically it doesn't. You know, usually people are experiencing symptoms within two to six hours um, after eating a food. But, you know, by then you might have had another meal. So you may, it may be more difficult to determine what is actually causing your symptoms. And through this food journaling, that's when you can start to kind of play around with, okay, what are foods that I should be exploring, you know, eliminating for a period of time while I work to get the histamine piece under control? So that is kind of the diet portion. Now we can also think about how do we support the DAO enzyme? 
because again, this is the key enzyme that's going to help to break down histamine. And especially if you have that genetic component that is causing that variation in your DAO enzyme, so it's not as active, or if you have a deficiency in your DAO enzyme, then supporting this long-term might really be the key to keeping your symptoms under control and allowing you to eat the foods you want to eat. So there is a supplement, and I know I usually don't share specific supplements on the podcast because I really don't want people just like self-prescribing and self-medicating, but I am going to share this one. This one is called Histamine Block, and it's by a company called Seeking Health. And this contains DAO porcine kidney extract and vitamin C. And this is my starting place typically when I suspect somebody has histamine intolerance, um, especially, you know, if, if we think it is potentially related to the DAO enzyme, maybe they have a family history of their mom or their siblings having similar symptoms. This is typically my go-to, but there are many, many histamine support supplements on the market. This is just the one that I'm most familiar with and the one that I recommend to my clients the most who need it. Then we want to think about how can we incorporate lifestyle changes to support optimal DAO enzyme activity. So maybe, yes, you have low DAO levels, but can we optimize what you do have? And that really goes back to the basics, you know, managing your stress, getting regular exercise, eating probiotic-rich foods and prebiotic fibers, and optimizing your sleep. So, you know, things you talk about on the podcast all the time, but I think things that, you know, often go un un underrated. The stress management portion is really important because this can help to lower cortisol levels and help to reduce histamine tolerance symptoms. So things like meditation, journaling, yoga, tai chi, deep breathing exercises, you know, you don't have to do all of these, but finding whatever works for you and really trying to create a habit out of it so that it's part of your daily routine. And it's not something that you're thinking, okay, I've been so stressed for the past month. Maybe I should start doing X, Y, Z, but these practices are already on board. So you're able to handle and react to the stress better. All right. That is all I have for you today. I know that was a lot of information at once. I'm hoping that got the wheels turning for some of you. If you have just been maybe up against a wall trying to navigate your hormone imbalances and you've been trying, you know, what you feel like is everything, this might be an avenue that you haven't explored yet. And it's likely not going to be an avenue that, you know, if you go to your OB or your PCP and you express to them that you are struggling with these symptoms, it's likely not going to be on the forefront of their mind unless they maybe have struggled with it themselves and they've gotten, you know, answers through working with somebody. It's really not going to be something that they think to bring to your attention. And that's why I decided to share it here. I, you know, that's why I have the podcast to hopefully just, you know, share some education with you guys, make you more aware of how to advocate for yourself with your doctor. And just know, you know, there's always people out there who are wanting to listen and listen to you and help you. So if your doctor kind of blows you off, um, especially when it comes to histamine intolerance, make sure you find somebody who is willing to do the work um, to help you feel better. All right. That is 
it for today's episode. I will see you on Friday for our Friday Chats episode. And as always, if you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, please leave a review, share it with a friend or a family member. It is the best way to support the podcast.